These days, it seems like we all spend a lot of time reading, listening and thinking about the climate crisis. And everywhere you look, people usually describe the problem as one of inaction. Politicians being slow to act, industry being slow to adapt and individuals left wondering what they can do to stop the planet getting warmer. Well, German forester Peter Vorleben isn't unrealistic about the scale of the challenges we're facing, but he does suggest there's one really simple solution which has been overlooked, and that's standing back and letting trees do their thing. You might remember Peter from his best-selling book, The Hidden Life of Trees, which opened our eyes to the remarkably rich social lives of our friends with foliage. Peter manages an ecologically conscious forest in Germany and runs a forest academy for education and advocacy. His latest book is titled The Power of Trees, How Ancient Forests Can Save Us If We Let Them. Peter, it's great to have you with us. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. First of all, we tend to think of trees as solitary things, but um, they have a really cranking social life, don't they? Yeah, they have because a single tree knows I'm not a forest. Just as a forest, they're able to do a lot of crazy or really cool things. For example, cool down the local atmosphere around about 10 to 15 degrees Celsius in summertime. That's an average number. So they are really cool. And trees can also learn and adapt. And we can already see this happening as the climate warms. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. For example, um, the book I describe, an old chestnut horse, chestnut tree. And this tree did mistakes. Um, It made mistakes. Uh, For example, it dropped its leaves too early off and then realized, obviously, that it didn't save enough sugar in its cells for winter. So it came again in autumn out with new leaves, which is very risky because they can freeze. And uh, But it survived wintertime. And from this year on, it kept the leaves longer. So you can watch trees learning. And that's really interesting because this is not just like, you know, adaptation that happens over decades. This is remarkably quick from season to season. Is that right? Yeah, even faster from week to week. Um, Exactly as you described, we thought the change would be only possible through evolution over hundreds of years. Now we see, no, a tree can learn within weeks. And more amazing, that it's not just about the tree. A tree, for example, supports bacteria, fungi in the soil, which form together the tree and the forest. It's not about this tree species. And uh, together they adapt to climate change. For example, fungi is changing its chemistry and therefore reaches more water in the ground. Or the bacteria are fighting foreign, non-native fungi species, which are attacking trees. So they all work together to adapt and to be more resilient. And you highlight research um, coming in from Australia, actually, on, of all things, peas. Um, We will go back to trees in a second, but first of all, peas. This work suggests that plants are capable of really complex learning as well. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's about, uh, I think, about the Pavlov reflex that you can peace train like dogs, for oh, example. Wow. Yeah, it's just really, really crazy. For example, a dog, if you if you ring a bell while feeding it and do this for several weeks, then after a time, just ringing the bell would cause the flow of saliva. And you can do a similar experiment on peace if you bring them in a dark room 
and push them with a little bit air in the dark room and then bring the light from exactly the same direction. Then after some weeks, it's just the air which brings the leaves into this direction. So the peas learn that the push of air will bring light and that means food, of course. So uh, we very often thought that that we have a sharp border between animals and plants and nature shows us more and more that it isn't so. Wow. Okay. So going back to trees, to the rather larger relatives of <laughs> peas and other vines we have in the garden, um, can you give us an overview of how trees normally respond to the changing season, something we all learn as children, but worth a reminder, and why they do that? Yeah, uh, trees, for example, when it comes to, to the weather, to the local climate, they have to store water in the ground. And that's one of the reasons why deciduous trees in our region drop off the leaves in autumn so the soil can better collect water because otherwise most of the water will remain in the crowns of the trees uh, and that's useless for trees. So uh, they drop off the leaves, the soil can be soaked up with water and that's a new um, study uh, made that our trees here need mostly winter rain, even if the summer will be very dry. doesn't matter for the trees because they use winter rain as long as you don't disturb the ground. For it. This is just one example how trees react. So, and as well as using winter rain, trees also store reserves of food, don't they? Like your hibernating squirrel or what have you. Exactly. Or like bears, which catch salmon and have a thick fat layer under the skin. Trees store sugar molecules in their roots and in their bark. And what's fascinating me even more is that when it comes to hunger, that trees can even lose body weight. It's so, so uh, <laughs> that, that's relatively new that they, they can use their own body mass to create energy, not just the sugar stored in their cells. So they are just a little bit behaving like we, but it's just in a range of some millimeters. It's not, not that much. Wow. So all of that is pretty incredible. But now we throw global warming into the mix. How is global warming starting to upset these patterns? And what are the trees doing in response yeah, uh, trees don't, luckily, don't like the same things we don't like. For example, when it's got warmer, when it's got drier, trees don't like this because they need water, they need moist um, ecosystem, very wet ecosystem. And plants know since 500 million years that they can't move away where they grow. So that's a difference, a big difference to us. We move away when conditions are changing and plants know they can't move, so they are changing them back. And we see this on trees, for example. Trees can cool their local atmosphere in summer times in average about 10 to 15 degrees down. So that means they make it colder and the trees can create rain clouds. They Big forests can create low depression areas and so you have more clouds. And uh, at the same time, while trees are evaporating water molecules, they also release every big tree per second around about 200,000 bacteria and they are also rising up together with the water molecules into the clouds creating ice crystals and therefore more raindrops so trees are creating their own rain peter trees are controlling their climates their own microclimates if we let them what are some of the other ways that trees behave as a community and look after one another 
Yeah, because trees <clears throat> create all this local weather phenomena and knows that they have to be in big communities, they support each other. For example, they support through the root system each other with sugar. So if there are weak trees, they get help, support from the neighboring trees, which are a little bit tougher, for example. They warn each other uh, from insect attacks. They even communicate with animals. For example, we have latest research here in Germany, uh, University of Leipzig, uh, that oak trees are calling birds for help by chemical substances, chemical signals. And then the bird knows, ah, there is a caterpillar invasion on this oak. And uh, then they come to uh, feed, to, to eat all these caterpillars, and the oak gets rid of them. So there's a lot of communication, interaction, and help. And even uh, with a new fungi uh, disease that we got here in from Japan, uh, it attacks ash trees on the whole northern hemisphere of the world. And meanwhile, a single bacteria species, one, one of those hundreds of thousands bacteria species working together with trees, one of them changed its chemistry and is now fighting this foreign fungi. It changed its own chemistry. It's changed it and is now fighting the fungi because uh, this, this bacteria, let's say, know that they need the ash sugar released by the roots and they register if the tree is weak and so they start to help it. Wow, that's incredible. It, it seems like there's still so much that we may not know about trees particularly goes on what happens underground, beneath the forest floor. Is that how you feel after all these decades of, of studying and thinking about trees? Yeah, it's, it's like just scratching the surface. We get so many new studies, tons of studies nearly every week uh, and, and see, wow, we have so much uh, underestimated the abilities of trees just because we thought that we're, let's say, not very much more than green stones. And uh, meanwhile, we see, no, they are not humans. They are not people, of course, and they are not animals. They have different strategies, but uh, they reach the same goals with their own strategies. And uh, meanwhile, uh, modern scientists, for example, from the University of Bonn, says that plants and trees are even intelligent. So what implications does it have for forestry then if we stop thinking about trees as green stones uh, and we start thinking about them as intelligent, cooperative ecosystems? Yeah, that first, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't use timber anymore. I love wooden things. That's really great. For example, I'm here sitting now at my wooden desk, but uh, it means that we should be more careful because we haven't understand let's say, more than 10% of a forest and think we can make forests. Many people think, um, even foresters, that we can create forests, and that's not true. We can create plantations, and that's a little bit like battery farming uh, with trees. So uh, if we want to have resilient forests, and forests are much more valuable ju just, uh, as just a timber source, they are valuable for water. Water is, or it's, is the most necessary thing when it comes to food. It's uh, they are, yeah, for the local climate, so important for altogether all these benefits. We need resilient forests, and because we haven't understood how this really works, we should do them their job on their own. And what we also need, we need old trees. And forest trees were often cut very young at the age of, let's say, 50 or 100 years. But we know that 1% of the oldest trees contain 50% of the biomass. That means that they are the main carbon storages 
They have the most knowledge. Tree, old trees are like libraries, and they are able to pass down their knowledge to their seedlings. There is a research uh, being done with collecting the gas flow over such young forests, and it means for the minimum first decade in even much, much more, these young forests are releasing more uh, carbon than they uh, store. So that means um, by cutting older trees, planting new ones, you make it at minimum for the next decades, decades worse than now. So, and what are we talking about? We are talking about, let's say, the next two or three decades uh, where we have to turn, make the turn to a better direction. So uh, it's always not a good idea to make forests younger. That's what they tell. They, it, it sounds so lovely. Everyone wants to be younger. Uh, we, we see the beauty industry or whatsoever. And to make forests younger seems so nice. But in reality, that means to weaken them forests lose information, forests lose abilities, uh, and, and so on. So it's always good to work together with, with older trees. So we need old trees for many, many purposes. And when it's now coming to forestry, we should stop clear-cutting, we should stop introducing non-native tree species, we should uh, instead let natural uh, or native forest ecosystems come back and to grow old. There's so much that I want to unpack there. Um, but first of all, you said that we we have been thinking that we can create forests and we can't. We can only make plantations. I mean, we've been thinking that we can make forests for centuries. This isn't just something we've come up in the last couple of decades. Have you received a lot of pushback about... Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, from, from forest industry and timber business. Tell me but about I'm it. On their, I'm on their side. In Germany, for example, in the German forest uh, system, you have also in Australia, it is in India, it's in British Columbia, because the British uh, took always German foresters with them. So we have the same system all over the world, meanwhile. And what we see here in Germany, where it comes from, we will lose 50% of the forest coverage within the next 10 years, because we will lose all those plantations. And now I think now it's time to say, okay, if we want to use timber uh, anymore, if we want to have wonderful wooden things, we need forests. And uh, the more strange things we make with, with the climate and, and the environment, the, the more biomass the forest needs for itself too, because trees don't produce timber for us. They, they, they that are their bones and uh, that's the biomass for the forest. So again, I'm on the side of foresters and the timber business because they have to answer the question, where should the timber come from when all those plantations will die? All right. So where should it come from? Assuming we can, we can stop yeah. this kind of plantation mentality, where are we going to get the wood that we need? Uh, I think we can get it from near native forests. Uh, a forest where you uh, thin, where you cut trees is, of course, not longer a native forest, but a near native forest. That means managed very carefully. A forest which has more biomass and more older trees is much more productive. You get more timber from those forests and they withstand the actual climate change much better. So that means if you want to harvest in the future timber, you need to let trees do the job on their own. And we see it here in Germany, we see it worldwide. I've never seen any artificial forest, any plantation, which makes the job better than a native forest. So let's go back to the roots um, in every sense and then uh, harvest much more carefully timber. 
You also, um, this is going to get even more controversial. I don't know if you're on Twitter. Maybe you should think about getting off Twitter if so. But um, you think that wood should be treated like other sources of fuel and subjected to a carbon tax. How, how would that work? Yeah, uh, because um, burning timber is worse for the climate than burning oil or gas. And uh, beside the forest and timber business, most scientists agree with this. And uh, it's just about carbon. And it's not regarded what trees are doing in cooling down the atmosphere, creating rain clouds and all this. So using trees as a fuel source, I think it's the worst idea ever. And it comes from the fairy tale that it is carbon neutral because trees are growing afterwards on the same place and take up the CO2, which was released by burning. But this is not true. Trees can become very, very old, many, many centuries. And if you now cut trees in a young age, you stop this collecting of uh, CO2. And that means the, the best thing for climate is let trees be in the forest, use heat pumps, for example, uh, solar power, wind power. That's much, much better. And I've uh, read with pleasure that uh, some Australian states are now turning over to renewable energy, producing green gas for exports and so on. So it's, it's now a switching industry, which goes in a much better direction than just uh, producing timber as a fuel source. Let's talk uh, solutions on an individual level so that um, people can leave with some ideas as well as some, <laughs> some worries. You say there are things that we as individuals can do, and one is just planting a single tree in our own front yard. What does one single tree do? Exactly. Well, many people think, oh, one tree, oh, come on, that's what should that be? Uh, no, you can make a test. Sit on a very hot summer day under an umbrella and then change to in the shadow of an old tree. And then you realize it's a little bit colder there. Uh, it's one to two degrees, but that makes a difference. And if you have space for two or three trees or in the city, in the whole street, it makes a big difference. In a city, for example, like Melbourne or Sydney, if you have a street with trees and a street without trees, the difference is around about 20 degrees. 20 degrees. So that's a big difference uh, for our health, to, for well-being. So and that are very little steps. And you're completely right. Every tree counts. So then, what sort of tree should we be planting? Uh, I'm not very in the native trees of Australia, but take the local native trees, because a tree is not just a tree. A tree is like a planet. Our body, for example, consists of thousands of bacteria species, and we are not just homo sapiens. We are many, many species together. And on trees, it's exactly the same. Uh, take Local native trees, because they are, are the best to work with the local bacteria, fungi, uh, insect ecosystems, and uh, they are much more resilient than wonderful flowering non-native trees, which may, in the preceding climate change, one day um, die. You also warn us that, I mean, that's our own backyards, but uh, when we look further afield, um, sometimes, you know, the things we buy say that for every whatever you've just bought, a tree is planted somewhere else. But you <laughs> warn us that not all tree planting initiatives are created equal. What should we be worried about in this case? Uh, we should be worried uh, in, um, if this plant actions uh, are made by forest business. For example, um, you plant the next plantation, which will end up in a sawmill. 
it's okay to do so, but most people think, ah, we are planting uh, something for nature. And so ask, what will be afterwards with this forest? Is it a gift to nature? Will it be left on its own? Or will it be uh, after 10, 20, 50 years, clear cut and the story starts again? So uh, in many, many cases that our plantation, often with non-native tree species, uh, it's like, uh, as I said, battery farming uh, with trees uh, and nothing worth for, for nature. So um, it's always good to take a closer look uh, if it is really an environmental friendly um, thing. So you say that we need to show more humility when thinking about and planning for the future. As far as I know, the trees aren't going to get offended and stomp off. So why do we need to be more humble? Um, I think because we don't know uh, very much about nature. Uh, for example, we know just estimated 10% of all species on earth and we think we can manage everything and what we have done so far brought us where we are now so it it, it means to accept that we are still part of nature uh, that we are not able to live without nature we don't have to give nature a certain space or protected areas or whatsoever and there it is and we are here no we are still in and we should realize that we are depending on nature that we are still part of it and that we should treat it with more respect and then we get more uh, yeah more uh, safeness for ourselves a better future yeah but the first step is to realize that we don't know everything and that we have managed too much peter volleben thank you so much for joining me thank you very much sarah Peter Vorleben is a German forester and the best-selling author of The Hidden Life of Trees. His new book, which we've been discussing, is The Power of Trees, How Ancient Forests Can Save Us If We Let Them. Translated by Jane Billinghurst and published in Australia by Black Ink Books. Perhaps you should seek it out on ebook or audiobook if you can. We didn't really discuss the whole paper versus audiobook <laughs> <laughs> dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> In one word, Peter, which which version should people go for? I would prefer. It sounds strange. I would prefer the paper version. Um, uh. <laughs> if we stop, if we stop burning timber for long-lasting uh, timber wooden products, we need just fifteen percent of the timber harvest, so we can reduce massively timber use and read um, paper books. Because with paper books, there are very good studies, scientific studies uh, concerning this. You get the knowledge better in your brain and your heart. And that's very important. All right. You've been told. Go forth. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.